Hey everyone, host of the Hangout in the Holy Land, Colton Denning here. Before we get into today's mega podcast about Ohio State's huge signing day and the basketball team's win over Purdue last night, want to take care of some business and let you all know that we are now on Twitter. So give us a follow at Holy Land Pod. We want to up the interaction with you guys about the show, answer your questions, get your feedback. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Holy Land Pod and if you haven't already, subscribe to the show. Go on to Apple Podcasts, search Hang Out in the Holy Land. You'll be the first to get new episodes of the show. And you can also go to soundcloud.com slash Land and find the show there. With all that taken care of, let's get into today's massive show. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, a very special episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land. My name is Colton Denning, a.k.a. Dubs Co., and I am joined by my co-host. You know him as Patrick Mayhorn, a.k.a. Man Bun John Stockton. Patrick, for the for it to be February and to be this crazy of a day in Ohio State Athletics. Uh, I, I can't remember any February day like this in recent memory. Yeah, um, I was promised when it came to like the off season starting, I was promised that there would be less things happening, and I'm just I'm feeling lied to. Um, <laughs> I'm feeling attacked because it was probably the busiest day of the year thus far for Ohio State, you know, 2018 in general. Um, and there was just so much going on from football signing day to coaching news seemingly out of nowhere to, you know, the basketball team. And it, it was just an extremely good day for Ohio State. Yeah, for, for it being an off-season day for football, this is uh, this is definitely one of the, the better days in recent Ohio State memory. And let's just get right into it. And the day started with the second or I guess the traditional National Signing Day we've become used to all these years, but with the early signing day, most of Ohio State's class was signed. I think they came into the day with 24 commits. They already had 22 of those kids already signed from that early signing period, and we talked about in our last episode what Ohio State needed to do to kind of put a bow on this 2018 recruiting class and there wasn't a lot of needs but there was one big one and they got that early on they needed to get a tackle and they closed it out with the number one offensive tackle in the country Florida's Nicholas Petit Friere he commits to Ohio State early in the morning and it started trending that way the night before when people in the know started shifting their crystal ball picks to Ohio State and picking him to end up in Columbus. But it's really hard to understate how big of a get this was for them. I said on Twitter and in our, our Slack chat that this is probably the biggest get for Urban Meyer during his time at Ohio State. Um, I want to say he's the highest ranked commit Ohio State has landed under Urban Meyer. Um, probably one of the highest rated commits that they've had since Drew Breyer. Um, you know, it's it's really it's hard to overstate how huge this commitment is. They desperately needed an offensive tackle in this class to pair with Max Ray, and they went out and got the best one um, <laughs> from a place where it's really difficult to recruit. I mean, they they went into Tampa and they pulled this guy right out of Florida's hands, pretty much. And you know his relationship with Greg Schiano, his relationship with Urban Meyer, and the coaching staff as a whole. They just did an outstanding job. Um, and you know when the predictions started to to roll in, I know I said it in the um, what was basically our signing day primer that went up this morning. Um, it just it felt like it was trending towards Ohio State. Um, yesterday he made his decision. I want to say Monday night, going into Tuesday morning. And it was just, you know, a, a very surprising win for Ohio State, but one that probably was more important than, than any we've seen in the Urban Meyer era. You could tell how important it was for Urban Meyer in that, uh, in that video that ESPN had up during his announcement when they put the camera on Meyer and he did that massive 
fist pump. Always with the left hand, too. Urban goes with the lefty fist pump, which, as a lefty myself, I'm a big fan of. But it, it was so big for a couple of different reasons. And one we talked about, position of need. They really needed an offensive tackle. Beforehand, they were looking at him and Rasheed Walker. Walker ends up going to Penn State. And for them to just swoop in at the last minute and, and get him from schools like Florida, like Alabama, like Michigan, is just a testament to how incredible this coaching staff is and how incredible Urban Meyer is at closing the deal for them to do this with such an elite prospect. And number two, you, you get a player of his caliber, like you mentioned, one of the highest, if not the highest uh, commit that or signee that they've had in his era. And in that last episode, we talked about, is there going to be a Von Bell in this class where Ohio State just swoops in and kind of makes a game-changing move? And that was it. And then finally, and this is the thing that I like the most, is they dunked super duper hard on Michigan <laughs> with him going to Ohio State. And it was a rough day for them, and we'll get into that uh, later on. But I believe that his high school was the one that Michigan practiced at when they went to the Budget Bowl, was it not? Um, I think that's right. I, I would have to look into it, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's where it was. So, like, for, for a multitude of reasons, this was just huge for Ohio State. Fills a position of need. You get an elite player. Uh, the hand ringing after Jackson Carmen spurned Ohio State and goes to Clemson. Like, you can forget about that, and it'll actually be really interesting not to compare what I guess yeah to compare how both of those guys' careers end up and so that's something I'm really looking forward to but as you alluded to shout out to Greg Shiano who will also talk about it looks like doesn't look like he's definitely staying at Ohio State which was something interesting but that was just the first piece the the second piece of the day around 2 p.m. Eastern Ohio State also added in New Jersey outside linebacker Javante Jean Baptiste, and th- this was another one. Got him over Nebraska and AM, kind of made a late push. We didn't really talk about him a ton on the last episode, but what does he bring to the table? Well, um, we, we didn't talk about him a ton on the last episode because it didn't seem like he was really a realistic option. Um, <clears throat> Ohio State had been recruiting him for kind of the, the early to middle part of January, but they, they fell off a little bit. Ohio State looked towards Christopher Oates and, um, you know, Sean Baptiste kind of shifted towards Nebraska and Virginia Tech and <clears throat> a little bit later, uh, Texas A&M. But you know, Ohio State got back in late and, you know, this was this was really not an easy decision for, for Jean Baptiste. And obviously none of these commitments are easy decisions for these kids, but this one really did come down to the wire. And it was, it was ultimately the, you know, the development that Ohio state has proven they can do. Um, and the, the coaching that he'll get at Ohio state that, that won out here and, um, what they're getting in him is really just kind of a, a very raw, um, extremely high potential athlete. Um, he he really doesn't have a true position at this point. Uh, I think he's a little bit too big to to be an outside linebacker at six foot five. Um, but he has a, a really good frame that he could go into. And um, I think Ohio State probably is going to move him to to defensive end and try to add some muscle. And when they do that, he could make for a an extremely dangerous speed rusher, which is you know, not really something that Ohio State desperately needs more of, but they'll certainly take it. Um, and the the defensive line that's kind of leaned on that that speed rushing on the outside the past couple of years just continues to get richer every recruiting class. And giving Larry Johnson a guy like this is a, a recipe for success. It, yeah, and it's interesting that you bring that up because unlike Friere, it wasn't a position of need. They already had three other linebackers in this class with Dallas Gantt, Tarada Mitchell, and Kayvon Pope. And you look at last year's class, they signed Baron Browning. That's at least one more guy. So it's not like they can just and Pete Warner at inside linebacker as well. So it's not like they can just say, hey, you know, if you want to come play next year, come to Ohio State. That's not really working. And even a defensive end, too. I know that Ohio State isn't going to be as deep as they were last year at that position, but there's going to be a rotation there. And he's, like you're saying, going to have to take that time 
to fill into his body. So it, it's really amazing that they're able to just come in and be like, yeah, just, just come here. Maybe you'll play defensive end, you know, maybe you'll play linebacker. But I think that just kind of goes to show, I don't want to use the term brand, but it shows where it is right now for Ohio state that they can get two players of that caliber this late in the cycle, where it looks like they're not going to end up in Columbus, but for whatever reason they do. Yeah. And this one, um, you know, Ohio state to be able to swoop in late um, for, for these recruitments is something that urban Meyer has done quite a bit in Columbus. Um, And, you know, especially early on during his time at Ohio state, it, really made some people upset um you know our our friend Bert up at Wisconsin specifically stands out um but this one this is a really specific and you know obvious case of Ohio State swooping in late and the fan base and the team that thought they were going to get him being very upset about it because I don't I don't know if you saw much of the reaction today from Nebraska fans on Twitter or message boards or anything like that but they were not happy about this because it had seemed like for weeks that he was headed to Nebraska and that was kind of what they were thinking of as being a big recruiting win over Ohio State and Ohio State just kind of popped in in the last week and decided, no, never mind. I think we actually do want this kid. <laughs> yeah, and, and and let's get one thing clear about that because I did see a lot of – there were a lot of Nebraska fans in our mention that were like, oh, Urban Meyer spoiled his announcement. Ohio State's coaches are, are scumbags. Like, Patrick, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I think you and I aren't under any illusions that Ohio State's coaching staff is full of saints. <laughs> and when when it comes to Nebraska or any other big time program, I know especially at a place like Nebraska with a guy, a hometown guy like Scott Frost coming back, that's a fan base that wants to think, oh, this is we're a program that does things the right way. Like these guys were recruiting their UCF commits while they were still coaching UCF on their way to Nebraska. So like if you think that every staff isn't full of scumbag tactics, like then you're just living in a fantasy world and that that's just recruiting. You do what you got to do. And Ohio state was able to do that with Jean Baptiste. Yeah. I mean, if you, uh, fans love to kind of claim the moral high ground and excuse recruiting losses as, you know, and chalk recruiting losses up as well. The other team is cheating or, the other team is doing something that is wrong. Um, and it's it's kind of, you know, that's obviously very common in college football and in sports in general. Um, but any fan base that thinks that there's not questionable things happening, you know, be it technically technical, you know, legalities, loopholes, things like that, or, or anything else, is just i mean that's just foolish that's just naive like uh my my favorite one is you know and we'll talk about this quite a bit because they had a a pretty fun day but the michigan fans who are you know always saying that michigan does it the right way you know the same michigan program that goes out and hires kids high school coaches every chance they get um and you know does their ball practice at uh, a five-star offensive tackles school. I mean, schools are going to do that. Schools are going to try and get advantages. I don't. I don't know why you wouldn't. Um, <laughs> if there's a chance to increase your your odds at landing a talented player, that's what they're going to do. Um, and it, it is. It's always funny, and it's always something that I kind of talk about on Twitter, where it's you know your team is probably not made up of saints you know your coaching staff is probably out doing you know kind of sketchy things that's what college football is it's kind of a gross sport that's that's how it works and honestly college football is a lot more fun when you just accept that yeah just embrace (laughs) it yeah (laughs) to be quite honest and you know from a fan base that had tom osborne as their coach like i don't want to hear anything about being scumbags but before we make fun of any more programs or before we make fun of michigan there's some other stuff for ohio state here on national signing day they also got their lois from defensive tackle tyler friday wide receiver chris olave and defensive end tyreek smith so it was a pretty drama free day for ohio state i know there was a lot of chatter about alabama and friday but they held them off and friday just kind of said no yeah i mean that was that was certainly something that people were pretty happy to see was the you know story about 
Alabama trying to get Tyler Friday to to flip late and Tyler Friday, as you said, just saying no. Um, you know, and, and all of the, the guys that Ohio State signed today, um, you know, the guys who had already been committed, like Friday and, uh, you know, Chris Olave. And I, I want to say that Tyreek Smith signed today, I guess, even though it seemed like he signed during the early signing yeah. period and just didn't announce it. I'm, I'm not sure what all was going on there. But all three of those guys we, we've talked about before, but it's just it's really impressive that they were able to get Friday and they were able to get um, Olave or Olive in this class when, you know, with both of them, they were not really in it in like November even. Um, And Ohio State really did an outstanding job of filling out this class after what was for some reason um, to some people kind of a disappointing early signing period. One of the really cool things that happened here after signing day was over and all of Ohio State's class had been finalized. Urban Meyer had his traditional pressure that you see coaches do after all the classes get signed and the players are in. And he brought up a contract extension being in the works, which AD Gene Smith confirmed after the fact, which is going to add two years onto his deal in take Meyer's deal through 2023. I don't know if that's the 2023 season or just the year 2023, but Urban Meyer is going to be at Ohio State for at least four more seasons. And after uh, it got brought up, Meyer said that he feels fantastic. He likes the health of the program. And I was pretty jazzed about this. I want to get your, your thoughts on this because I've never been one that thought that he was just going to leave or he was going to flame out like he did at Florida. I think that this is his final stop. And honest, obviously, you never know what can happen with college football. But uh, this is pretty great news. And I think that the last two classes that Ohio State signed in the modern era of recruiting have been two of the greatest ever. And it's yet to be seen what happens on the field. But I think that Urban Meyer is in this one for the long haul. Yeah, I mean, that's that's obviously encouraging to see as an Ohio State fan. Um, I can't imagine that there are very many Ohio State fans who are upset about the idea of Urban Meyer being here for another five seasons. Um, you know, that's you know, there's one or two, though. Yeah, there's one or two. And they also want like um, Tate Martell to be the quarterback or some walk on who they were friends <laughs> with in high school or something. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously good news. I, I don't know if it's been officially announced what that extension looks like yet um but you know keeping urban meyer here longer is good news um he he hasn't really shown any signs of falling off when it comes to obviously recruiting he's he's still fine there um you know and on the field ohio state is still very good at football um as much as some people would like to say that maybe they aren't uh, they're they're still very good at football and that's in large part because of urban meyer so to you know to keep him locked up is pretty much not debatably good news. Um, I, I did think it was kind of funny that this came out a day after Gene Smith's tirade about <laughs> um, how coaches' salaries are getting ridiculous, and you know then it's announced today that Urban Meyer is going to be signing an extension, and it sounds like Greg Schiano is going to be getting a million dollars. Yeah, Gene Smith didn't say who the assistant was that was going to get bumped up to a million dollar per year salary, but Hmm. you would figure it's either going to be Greg Schiano or it could be Larry Johnson. He certainly, if it was him, he would definitely have earned it, but you would figure that it's got to be Schiano since it's basically official at this point that he's around for at least another year. And this was another thing that was kind of percolating in our mentions about whether this was a good thing or not for Ohio State. And I think, at least in my personal opinion, you can think whatever you want about Greg Schiano. You can think he's a dick. You can think he's an asshole. Whatever body part you don't like, you can think that about Greg Schiano and his abilities as a head coach. But the two years that he's been at Ohio State, both on the field and recruiting-wise, have largely been pretty fantastic. And, And I think that Alex Grinch is obviously that guy in waiting and it'll probably be after next season. Shiano isn't going to stay around uh, another year after this one, but uh, I think it's been pretty undisputable that Greg Shiano was a good hire and has done very well at Ohio state. And if they want to bump him up to a million dollars, I think that's well-deserved. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty unbelievable to think that Greg Shiano will be Ohio state's defensive coordinator for a third season. Um, You know, when he was hired, 
I was pretty sure it was going to be a one-year gig, um, you know, despite the, the Urban Meyer two-year agreement usually. Um, I was imagining that that would probably be waived for someone who was almost certainly being offered head coaching jobs and has continued to be offered those jobs. But Shiano is, and as you said, whatever you think about him as a person, Shiano is, as a coach, one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. And he, you know, that he has been extremely valuable to Ohio State the past two seasons. And he's a big reason that they have been as dominant defensively as they have been. And however long they can have him, it feels like at this point they're just playing with house money because he is, you know, he's good enough to be pretty much wherever he wants to be. If that's an NFL defensive coordinator job, if that's a, you know, a college football head coaching job, he could have taken those opportunities and he didn't. Um, and that's just as surprising as it is. It's it's certainly something that Ohio State fans should be very excited about. Who would have thought two plus years ago that we would all be Shiano men? Certainly not <laughs> me. Uh, but before we get into basketball, should we make fun of Michigan for a little bit? Absolutely. Uh, okay, because... As great of a day as Ohio State had, Michigan had just as rough of a day. We already talked about Nick Petit-Friere. I don't know how Michigan fans or Michigan insiders felt about him ending up there because it seemed like at, at the end point or right up to signing day, it was either going to be Ohio State or Florida. But in addition to him, they also had their top recruit, Otis, Re- Otis Reese, linebacker, flipped to Georgia that was their only top 100 recruit in the 24-7 sports composite so Michigan finishes with the 21st ranked class certainly in the grand scheme of things not anything awful but only seven four stars in the class an average of 88.75 just ahead of Nebraska and North Carolina Virginia Tech not a great day for the Wolverines. Well, great day for us, but not for them. Yeah, it was um, it was it was a rough day for for Michigan. Um, as you mentioned, they lost Otis Reese, who was their top rated to recruit to Georgia. Which, by the way, just as a as an aside, Georgia's class is um, a crime against me personally. <laughs> That class seven is, five stars. Yeah, that class is ridiculous. I think they have like eight of the top thirty one players or something like that. But Michigan lost Reese, wasn't really in it for Petit Frere at the end. Um, but they were one of his first offers and they had been in it forever and for Ohio State to just kind of jump in and, and take him in roughly a month isn't something that Michigan fans are super happy about. But um you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how many Michigan fans are exactly surprised about this. Um, you know, they. It seems like a lot of the reaction I'm seeing is people kind of, you know, that are aware of the fact that the class wasn't very good coming into signing day, and it it only got a little bit worse. Um, but this, you know, this is a really bad class. They 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 have some decent players. Obviously, 21st nationally isn't awful by any means. But it's just not a very good class. There's there's a lot of three stars. There's a lot of guys who probably I I don't know if they would play at a school like Ohio State or Penn State or a a national championship competing school. And I think that the fan base knows that. Um, I know some of my <laughs> my favorite uh, Michigan fans on Twitter, who I, I will not name, but if you follow me on Twitter, you... I'm looking at one of his tweets right All now. All right, so I think we're probably <laughs> thinking of the same guy, but if you follow me on Twitter, you know who I'm talking about. Um, he, he had kind of a rough day online, <laughs> and it was kind of funny to see um, some people who were big Harbaugh supporters kind of turning on him today, um, and... Almost, almost just like a, a feeling of dread. It seemed like, which is, um, you know, as as funny as it is to watch. Um, I, I would say that I feel bad for them, but I don't. I think it's really funny, and that's about it. <laughs> and and something interesting here: Petit Friere, Tyler Friday, Jason Owa, who ends up at Penn State, and Jamar Chase, who I believe ended up at LSU. They all were official visitors for Michigan during the game this year against Ohio State, and none of them end up at Michigan. So certainly a very rough day for the Wolverines. And we got a couple of questions on Twitter about Michigan from our guys today, a big fan of the pod. Shout out to him. The first one is which one hurt Michigan more, the Tyler Friday commitment or Petit Friere? 
Probably Tyler Friday. Um, you know, Petit Friere is rated higher, and they were recruiting him for a while. But Tyler Friday was a heavy Michigan lean for a lot of his recruitment. I mean, like for close to a year. And <clears throat> Ohio State just kind of swooped in late and took him, and that was a big position of need for them. And you know, ultimately, if he, ha- I, I don't imagine he will have as much of an on-field impact as Petit Friere, and that doesn't mean he's not going to be good. Um, I, I think he'll be very good. But um, you know, when it comes down to it, Petit Friere wasn't ever really expected to go to Michigan and I would imagine it probably hurts less uh, for for them at that point secondly he asks in all seriousness what the hell is wrong with UM recruiting this was pathetic not that I'm complaining um, Jim Harbaugh is not a very good recruiter <laughs> I think that that's kind of the best way to explain it um, he's you know he's a good on field coach he's, he's pretty good at developing talent uh, we saw that at Stanford. I, I don't think that's gone away, but I, I do think he needs to adjust a little bit. Um, but he's just not a very good recruiter, and they haven't had a ton of success under him. Um, the The 2016 season was really their best shot to kind of be relevant nationally, and the spot was extremely good, and they didn't make it to the playoffs because of it. And, um, you know, they, they've really they've not shown up in big games. They've not shown up against Ohio State or Michigan State, and recruits see that. Um, There's not a ton of excitement around the program. They have some assistant coaches who aren't very good at their jobs, and players see that, and that's what it comes down to. Recruitment is all about excitement. It's all about relationships, and it's, you know, you have to give players a reason to play for you, and right now they really don't have a ton of ways to do that. You're telling me that Tim Drevno isn't a top-notch ace recruiter? <laughs> <laughs> Who could possibly turn down playing for the extremely charismatic um, Tim Drevno? <laughs> and to just add on to that, I think that there's a couple things. And to look at this from not a devil's advocate point of view, but I don't think either one of us are saying that Jim Harbaugh's a terrible coach. No. He's obviously not. No, no, he's, he's a good, he's coach. A good coach. His track record speaks for itself, and I've seen a lot of Michigan fans – continue to bring up well he got the Niners to a Super Bowl after they were so bad and you saw what he did at Stanford and I think both of those are very fair points and they'll always be true because they happen but at the same time we are starting to get to a point where are recruits remembering what he did at Stanford outside of Andrew Luck I guess um and is anybody really committing to him based off of what he did in San Francisco with the 49ers and Thirdly to that, I think that they're at the point right now with their offense that something has to change because when you even have schools like Northwestern or like Minnesota or now Nebraska who can tell kids, hey, are you really going to want to go and play under that offense if you're a wide receiver or if you're a running back? Why, why would you want to do that? Even if you're a tight end or a pass catching guy playing at tight end, why, why don't you come into our offense? We'll, we'll get you the ball. We're not going to run the ball and play a slow pace. None of those kids want to do that, and I think that it'll be an interesting offseason to see what Michigan does and how they reshape that offense around Shea Patterson because there's definitely no way that they're going to play the way they did last year stylistically, but I don't know how committed he is to running a different style of offense, which is odd because you look back at his history with the 49ers and saw what he was able to do with Colin Kaepernick and some of those forward-thinking pistol concepts that they ran. But it just kind of seems like even if he's committed to his staff really, really isn't, or at least they don't have the pieces in place to be committed to that. Um, I mean, it, it's just it, they're kind of in a rough spot right now. I mean, I, I don't know how they can – really build excitement at this point they just need to win games and if he has to adjust his offense i don't know if he will um i think he probably does based on watching michigan football the last couple of seasons um especially this last season i mean when you're trotting out john o'corn at quarterback it's not gonna work that i mean i think he knows that um <laughs> I, I when you're yearning for the days of uh, sugar shane check down morris that's kind of rough that's kind of a rough place to be in offensively and it is it is funny to see you know michigan fans online and people around the program in general saying on signing day in 2018 well hey at least we're not rutgers um th- that's enjoyable but also 
Rutgers is better on offense than Michigan is. And, and like a long story short, we didn't even bring up uh, what it all boils down to, too, is people aren't really interested in going to a program that loses four games a year or loses five, five games a year. If you're a top-level recruit, this is a problem that Tennessee and Nebraska have both had in recent years. And, and until Michigan starts winning those high-profile games, I, I think that that's going to continue. So it'll be interesting to watch their program this offseason and as we get into the 2018 season, which is a, a doozy for them schedule-wise. But enough of that. Let's talk about a program that – was underwhelming and has changed their ways and is more than adequate right now, and that would be the Ohio State basketball program, Patrick. And tonight they played a whale of a game against the Purdue Boilermakers on the road. They snapped Purdue's, what was it, 21-game Big Ten winning streak, and they did so in Mackey Arena, which, by the way, is an absolutely terrifying road venue to play in, and they did that by winning 64-63, to Ohio State's played a lot of fun games, the Penn State game being one this season, but I don't know if I can remember as impressive a performance from the team as we saw tonight in recent memory. Yeah, I mean, they they fought back uh, from, from down 14 in the second half. They really couldn't stop um, Isaac Haas or, uh, you know, Carson Edwards for a lot of the game. Or his elbow, for that yeah, matter. Yeah, I... Um, I will not share my full takes on Isaac Haas on this program because I would be arrested. <laughs> um, but, yeah, he's a, he's a dirty player. I'll leave it at that. But it, it just to to fight back from down 14, um, you know, and without your starting shooting guard, starting a, a sophomore guard who doesn't have a ton of playing experience and, you know, playing – Andrew Dockich and, and Musa Jallo and, and Michael Potter and Kyle Young for significant minutes against a team that has multiple five stars and several seven foot two centers, I guess. Um, and, you know, and three point specialists and a team that is well built to not just win games, but win big games and, you know, go far in the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament to to play that team close and to ultimately win the game when honestly you're not playing all that well it, to stay with them and still win the game is extremely impressive because you know in in watching this game and kind of reflecting on it I don't think Ohio State played their best game I, I don't think Ohio State even played particularly well I mean obviously the comeback was was great and they they played well down the stretch, but they trailed for 34 minutes. There was times during this game where they looked completely out of it. They they couldn't stop Haas. They couldn't stop Edwards. Caleb Wesson couldn't stay out of foul trouble. Micah Potter couldn't stay out of foul trouble. They were just they were struggling for good reason because Purdue's a very good team. Um, they couldn't st- score at all to start the first half, and they still weren't able to to stay in the game and fight back and, and ultimately win it. And it was just, you know, they they out rebounded a team with two seven foot two guys, and they, you know, I, I hate to, I hate to use kind of a, a cliche, but they pretty much just gritted their way to a win against the number three team in the country on the road, um, and just the effort that they played with, and the the weird things that happened in this game, like Andre Wesson hitting three threes and Musa Jallo hitting three threes, and you know one of those Wesson threes being banked off of the the side of the backboard it was just i mean it's the kind of win we haven't seen ohio state have since like 2011 2012 um it was just incredible and it was um you know it was such a such a satisfying win when it came down to it and you know it it's just it's hard to doubt this team at this point because they have answered so many questions throughout the season and really except for that the weird Penn State game on you know very little rest Ohio State has been pretty much perfect since late December and like you said just from the beginning they were either playing from behind or they just fought through so much adversity Cam Williams suspended 
first five and a half minutes without a, a single point, not even a made field goal, without a point. You had early foul trouble for Caleb Wesson, who got three fouls. He basically started the game with three fouls, and Micah Potter started the game with two fouls. And so they didn't have an answer for Isaac Haas, who in the first half was six of seven for 16 points, and the only shot he missed was that dunk attempt, which really showcased uh, his lack of athleticism, to say the least. <laughs> but despite all of that, it was 31-29 to 29 at halftime. Kade Bates-Diop had eight points and five boards, even though he didn't really play particularly well. You brought up Musa Jallo, who had six points on two made three-pointers. And he was a guy that really stood out tonight. I, I don't want to say that he played an awesome game. I think he only had 10 points looking at the box score right now. Let's see. Yeah, yeah 10, 10 points, points on, on three of four shooting. I thought he got lost on defense a few times. But for a kid as young as him to be in that – situation to be in that environment in a game as big as that and to play as calm as he did I, I thought really showed something and that Cam Williams suspension you would hope that he's eventually going to get back on the floor and be an integral piece because I, I think he, they really missed his shooting in the way that he's able to help space out defenses tonight but uh to have Jallo come out and, and play like that I thought was huge and Purdue averages 10 threes a game. They only had two in the first half. They ended up with, I think, eight, and a bunch of those were from Edwards, who just went bonkers in the second half at 28 points. But for the most part, they really held them down. I think Purdue only had two offensive rebounds for the whole game, and those two came really late. So despite not playing well or really being like themselves, they were able to take away a couple of key things that Purdue does really well, and I, I thought that that was the difference in the game ultimately. Yeah, and I, I think one of the one of the things that really changed this game, um, you know, in favor of Ohio State was late um, Ohio State adjusting to Haas and kind of figuring out how to contain him, which was basically to just hassle him and you know double team him. He's not particularly athletic or aware of his surroundings, and he's pretty much just big i mean he's he's pretty solid at shooting close to the hoop and he has a good touch but when you double him when you make it difficult on him he does not handle it very well and they figured that out in you know late in the second half and that helped spark the run um you know they they got him frustrated they were they were forcing turnovers and you know as you mentioned a, a big spark from Musa Jallo and Andre Wesson i thought played probably the best game of his career to this point um, you know, especially late down the stretch, he hit the three that I mentioned, but he was defending Haas. He's six foot six and he was defending Haas and he was holding his own. Um, and obviously it helped that they were double teaming with, uh, you know, base Diop and sometimes, uh, you know, Dockage would jump in, but that he was, you know, he was capable of, of sticking with him and, it was just, you know, that effort down the stretch and the energy that they played with, Purdue didn't seem to expect and they couldn't handle it. And that's, I think, probably this team's greatest asset is that despite the fact that they pretty much, I, I think that they have nine scholarship players, uh, you know, when Cam is suspended. And all of them played um, pretty significant minutes. And the fact that at the end of the game against an extremely physical team that was, you know, admittedly getting away with some fouls, um, I think I think both teams did uh, Purdue a little bit more, but they, you know, they had energy late in the game. They were still getting rebounds. They they got the crucial offensive rebound at the very end of the game that you know Kata Bates Diop got and. I, I don't even know how he did that. <laughs> I don't know how he got that rebound, how he was in that play, and then how he hit the shot to you know ultimately win the game. But the the heart that this team plays with is just incredible. And um, you know if, if nothing else, and there's certainly more to praise them for. But if nothing else, Ohio State under Chris Holtman has brought back the effort that we saw when they had Aaron Kraft and Jared Sollinger. And, you know, the teams that were competing for championships and in the Final Four and in the Elite Eight. And it's just, it's enjoyable to watch the team again. And I think that that's the main thing that we should thank Chris Holtman for. Because this team is extremely easy to believe in. Um, and at this point, I don't really think that they're a, you know, they're an underdog story. Obviously, they, they are. But... 
I think at this point they're just a good team. They're just a playing good team. They're the best team in the Big Ten. Um, you know, the the standings back that up. I don't, I don't think that that's an opinion. And, you know, when it comes down to it, that's an extremely impressive feat. And if Chris Holtman doesn't win coach of the year, it's, you know, it, it's ridiculous because he has done an incredible job. Yeah, and, and when I was taking notes from this game while watching it, even when they were down 53 to 39 with 10 minutes left, I kind of felt like, you know what, this team has has earned all of our trust that even if they end up getting steamrolled here at the end, they're going to fight. They're not just going to give up. They're playing in a really tough environment. And there was a point there where Carson Edwards was hitting everything off the dribble, off screens. Purdue just couldn't miss. And I felt, okay, you know, it's I'm okay with a loss here. But they just continued to fight. And whether and, and even when they came back, it didn't feel like they played really well. Kevin Kugler on the broadcast when they went on a 7-0 run was like, this is a very slow 7-0 <laughs> run from Ohio State. Like, they weren't just on fire making shot after shot. They just kind of inch by inch, and that term again just gritted their way back into the game. And if ultimately they would have lost the game, I would have been fine with it because I think we're at a point with this team where it's not just that the results are good, it's that the process is good. It's not empty calories, I guess, in a basketball term. What you're seeing is really good basketball. And when they're not playing aesthetically pleasing basketball, they're doing the little things right, like we talked about earlier. They're, they're taking away Purdue's three-point shot. They're somehow able to neutralize Purdue having two seven-footers and not letting them get offensive rebounds, which they do very well. They're, they're getting to the line. Jay Sean Tate is gritting out drives. Kata Bates-Diop is hitting contested jumpers in like you said, Andre Wesson hitting those threes in that late one, which he banked in, like that's just stuff you need. And that's what you need from role players like that. And when you get to Bates Diop, you know, the the thing that, that really stood out to me was at the end of the game, they were trying to get him the ball in the first time. Purdue did a really great job denying it. I don't know who the defender was for Purdue there, but Purdue kind of neutralized him. And then, when Dockage got that rebound and they were able to reset, Jay Sean Tate basically had to drive there. And KBD did what stars do. And when the game was on the line, he made the play to win. And that's what you expect from a guy like him, whether it's a, a jumper, a one-on-one play, driving to the bucket, whatever it may be. He did the thing he had to do to win the game for them. And I, I just couldn't be more impressed with what we saw from not only him, but the team and the coaching in general. I love this team. Yeah, this team, if you know, if you're an Ohio State fan and you you've just been following the football team the past couple of years, I wouldn't blame you. But it, you know, if you have the means to get to a game this year, there I think there's only two game, two home games left. Um, you should do it because this team deserves fan support and um, you know, whether it's just watching the team or going to the games or, you know, any number of things, <clears throat> this is a, you know, an extremely likable team um, that, you know, a- as you said, they, you know, I-, I love this team. This team is just, they're so much fun. They have, you know, they have so much heart. They they can re- take a punch. Yeah, they, they can take a really good punch. I, you know, since the you know since the loss to I want to say the the last non-conference loss was to uh, North Carolina, and really since that game they have not you know given up on a single game. They have they have stuck tight in every single game. Even the the Penn State loss was you know obviously extremely close late, and they just. You know, they, they roll with the punches. They were down by 15 to Illinois in the first half and stormed back with, like, a 19-0 run to finish the half. Uh, you know, they were down 14 here against one of the best teams in the country. They're just – they do not go down. They they will be in every single game. And it's just with the lack of depth that they have and the significant minutes that they're giving to freshmen who are not – you know, one and done kind of guys, they, it's just, I don't know how they do it, but it's incredible. <laughs> and it's so impressive for a team that has the identity that they do, because there are some veterans on this team and there's some guys that have been around, but not a lot of guys who have had any sort of tangible success. So like you mentioned, you lose a game like the Penn state game after the run that they were on and to lose that game in such heartbreaking fashion, you know, they could have, 
comeback against Illinois. Not not mailed it in, but they could have lost that game, and I wouldn't have been surprised. And we saw in the first half when they were down 15, it just kind of felt like, you know what, this this is still a young team. Let's not get our hopes up too high. But they come back and win that game. Then they play Purdue, one of the best teams in the country. Like, we haven't even spent really that much time talking about that. Like, they just didn't go on the road and beat, oh, like, Purdue's good. Purdue's one of the best teams in the country. They're going to be a top two or three seed in the NCAA tournament. And they don't lose at home, especially in an, in an environment like that. And for them to just keep fighting – and to not let that Penn State loss affect them when it really could have is is awesome and something we haven't seen from the program in a long time. And I think, to my advice to people, or at least how I'm going to watch the team for the rest of the regular season in the Big Ten tournament and then whatever happens in the NCAAs is just kind of whatever happens, happens. I'm going to enjoy the ride. I'm not going to put any labels on it like, oh, they need to make the Sweet 16 or they need to make the Elite Eight. I just I, I am so content with just enjoying Ohio State basketball and having some moments that uh, it's just refreshing. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what it comes down to. Enjoy this team. Um, you know, there are guys on this team who won't be here next year. Uh, you know, Cam's a senior. Tate's a senior, I think. I think Tate's a senior. Um, Kata Bates-Diop should go to the NBA. He is an NBA. He's, he's yeah. not sticking around. No, he is an NBA-level player, and he deserves to be making money for how good he is at basketball. Um, but, you know, the young guys on this team are worth watching, too. You know, Caleb Wesson didn't have a very good game tonight, but he is going to be a star. Um, you know, Musa Jallo, Andre Wesson, you know, C.J. Jackson will be back next season, Kyle Young, Micah Potter. All of these guys are just, they're so much fun to watch. And, you know, to, to watch them grow and, and, you know, get better, even just as this season is going on. Um, you know, even if this team doesn't get very far in the NCAA tournament, wherever they finish, it's a it's an extremely successful season, and it's it's really hard to not be, um, you know, very excited about the direction of Ohio State's basketball program. User Hey Breezy points out that Purdue only had four players score. I don't know what this <laughs> means. Which you look at the box score, Edwards, both the Edwardses, Haas, and Matthias were the only Purdue players that scored P.J. Thompson was 0-5 from the field with no points, and Purdue had zero points from their bench, and they only had one shot from their bench all game. That's good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's excellent. Not good for them. And, and too, while we're talking about Purdue, that last play that they uh, that they drew up to Haas was pretty good, and if they would have won, I, th- I think that that's a play where you just like throw up your hands and you're like, you know what? Just like the Penn State game, that shit goes in, then it goes in. Nice play. Yeah, I um, I thought for sure that that shot was gonna go in. <laughs> I was one hundred percent convinced. I was like, that shot's going. <laughs> uh, Charles Manning the third also says, I don't like anything copying anything from Clemson, but this Ohio State basketball team is BYOG, which I, I feel like that's that's fair. They're definitely we talk about the fight and uh, they never give up, which definitely you can you can compare that that mantra to what Ohio State does. Yeah, I I did have to look up what BYOG is because I'm not a big uh, Clemson follower, but I agree once I looked it up. Um, I mean, it, it is that's the number one thing that defines this team. They just they just stick in games that they probably shouldn't be in based on the amount of talent that they have and they they play harder than any team that they play and you know that that shows when they out rebound pretty much everybody that they play and they down the stretch they are obviously the better team um in in pretty much every game that they've played in they when it when it comes down to the end of games they are extremely difficult to to beat because the energy level picks up so much and we saw it tonight we saw it against penn state when they almost came all the way back um i I think that's the number one thing that defines this team five games left in the season ohio state's next game is against iowa at home on saturday 6 p.m on big 10 network they also have road games at penn state road game at Michigan, and then Rutgers and at Indiana to close out the season. So if you haven't been watching, you really need to take some time out to watch this team before we get to the Big Ten tournament. And ultimately, NCAA tourney action for the first time in three years, baby. But um, 
we're 50 minutes into this thing. You, you got anything else, Ohio State basketball, Ohio State football-wise? I feel like we covered everything, but there's so many damn things went on today <laughs> that I, you never know. Um, real quick, one of the things that you kind of touched on earlier, um, you were talking about how the, the announcers were, were kind of mentioning that um, you know Ohio State was on a very slow run. Um, and just speaking on the announcers, uh, they were really bad. like really really bad um one of the things specifically that kind of stood out to me was um i I don't know which one of them it was i I don't know the announcer's names but one of them said uh you know when purdue is hitting their shots they're really good (laughs) which well yeah (laughs) we also had um a, a certain segment i didn't really pay too much attention to the announcing other than when when they made that comment about the run but also there was a point later on in the game where I think it was Kevin Kugler, play-by-play guy, was like, or it was Crispin, the uh, the color guy, who said something along the lines of like, they they produce big guys kind of play like a schoolyard bully. You know, you have your friend get on all fours and push somebody from the back, and Kugler was like, I don't know where you went to school, and it was like one of those awkward moments where everybody was like, okay, let's not push this and all get fired from our jobs right here, right now. <laughs> um, the the only other thing, I, I saw some people complaining about the officiating, which is fair, and you brought it up. It, it was bad on both sides. The the Isaac Haas, the one where he elbowed Wesson just right under the throat, and it wasn't noticed, and then ran through Jay Sean Tate. Just totally both no calls there, and it feels like we're at the point, and I I guess this is just always the norm with Big Ten officiating, is it's either like Rambo rules, everything goes, everybody dies out on the floor, no whistles, or it's ballet, and and they're calling everything. There's really no in-between with the Big Ten game. It's just like hit or miss. Like You can either mug somebody, or if you touch somebody, that whistle's getting blown. Yeah, and I think that the the main thing that kind of – sticks out to me about big 10 refereeing this year um especially like when i when i'm at a game that it especially stands out is that they're extremely good at interrupting the flow of a basketball game um they just foul calls at extremely bad times you know seemingly out of nowhere um off ball whistles for no real reason um it, it's just it, it's bad I, I don't know what they have to do to fix it but it was it was especially bad tonight. It's been bad all season. Um, they they really don't know how to officiate bigger players. Um, I, I think a lot of the time, uh, defenders are kind of able to get away with more when they're guarding Caleb Wesson because the refs really don't know how to call it for him. Um, and with a guy like Isaac Haas, he's able to get away with more because again they don't really know how to referee him. Um, and that's something that they have to get fixed. They they have to figure out the flow of the game a little bit better and, and kind of, you know, know obviously when to call a foul because there are fouls and you have to call fouls and it's important that you don't just let it be a free-for-all, but you also have to know when a game is rolling along and you just kind of have to let it go because the, you know, interrupting that rhythm with, you know, with the TV timeouts and with timeouts in general is, you know, that's enough. I, I think that's that's the amount of you know flow interruption that's appropriate. But when you're calling charging fouls out of nowhere or you know off the ball fouls on someone in the post, and it's not you know, something egregious like you know throwing an elbow at somebody's neck, it's just you know it, it, it's it's useless at that point. It's just kind of calling something to call something, and it, I don't I don't much care for it because I I think it kind of messes with the players and it makes it less fun to watch that's why i just choose to watch the games and basketball like the officials are just it, whatever they call it, it's just random acts of god but boy these random acts of god sure are are terrible more <laughs> often than not with big 10 officials before we close it out here i'm just looking at the uh 24 7 sports getting back to football as we wrap up um Big Ten, do you have any any huge takeaways? Penn State finishes with a really good class, a, a top-five class. I think it was the fifth-rated class in the country, three five-stars, 12 four-stars. Uh, Michigan third, we already discussed and buried them pretty thoroughly. Nebraska finishes fourth, which I, I thought that they did a really good job really late in the class there to get some talent. Maryland had a very good class. I think that they've started to stack in DJ Durkin's first couple of seasons. And Minnesota with P.J. Fleck. A uh, a 26 kid class, 23 three stars, four 
or three four stars, but I thought for positions of need and kind of what they were looking for that Minnesota is going to be an interesting team to watch in the Big Ten West as it as it kind of shuffles beyond what Wisconsin's able to do at the top. Yeah, um, you know Minnesota I think is really interesting. I, I like PJ Fleck a lot. Um, the only other class that I, I kind of noticed as as one that was you know significant, not necessarily because they have um, a very good ranking because they don't. Um, you know, and we were just talking about them at basketball, but Purdue that um, has the the 49th ranked class. It's it's only 11th in the Big Ten, but they uh, you know they got a four-star receiver in, in Rondale Moore. They got a, a quarterback in Jack Plummer, who I think is really good. They they added talent to a roster that overachieved last season, and they're putting more talent in that Jeff Brom offense. And I I think that that you know they will be really interesting to watch in the coming years um you know they'll i think that they're building i think minnesota's building obviously wisconsin is going to be good forever um but i I think that that kind of that three-way battle for power in the big 10 west is is really interesting and before they at me because i know they're going to at me iowa fans please do not at me because it's a three-way battle. Iowa's not going to win the Big Ten West. It's the worst. No, and we got a bunch of <laughs> Iowa fans in our mentions this week. Like, I, I don't think any of us at this point, I mean, not not anybody rational, nobody's mad about Iowa beating Ohio State anymore. Like, that, that's nothing we can control. <laughs> it was a great win for them, but um, them beating Ohio State, I think for the second time in the last 30 years, doesn't invalidate the last 30 years, nor does it invalidate recruiting rankings, which Matt Brown wrote about on the site. Check it out, landgrantholyland.com. But um, you've always been a Jeff Brom respecter. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I knew you you, you got to get your Purdue talk in here. Patrick Mayhorn, Jeff Brom respecter on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I'm a big-time um, Jeff Brom respecter. I mean, his— his offense is a, a joy to watch and you know it's been a joy to watch for his entire career and um if you're looking for a team to watch next year that is going to do just immensely stupid things on the football field and somehow it works watch purdue because they're going to run like a triple jet sweep fake screen wheel route that goes for several touchdowns in one play it's 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 fun and stupid and they'll have more talent next season um, so yeah, watch out for them. And, um, as you mentioned, and I'll just touch on this a little bit, cause I, I think it's kind of ridiculous to the point to it that it's gotten to with the, you know, Iowa stuff. Um, Ohio state lost to Iowa. Yeah, that, that is true. I don't really get the whole, um, you know, like Iowa fans saying, uh, Ohio State needs all the help they can get to beat Iowa <laughs> thing because they really don't. <laughs> I mean, it was one year. It was, it was one. It was one game. Ohio State played a bad game against a team that they almost always beat, and they got beat. And that's that's the way it is. We're an hour into it, man. I'll, I'll just say it. I don't think any Iowa fans listening. No, Iowa's trash. Iowa's trash. Those hillbilly yeah. bastards can they can have their eight and five and have the win over Ohio State last year and. And that's great, but they still got Kirk Ferentz as their coach. And secondly, the the thing that I wanted to bring up about the Big Ten rankings is that they are ahead of Wisconsin, but you know damn well Wisconsin with only 20 kids in that class, only one four-star, 19 three-stars, that like 18 of those kids are just going to bust ass. And that's why whenever I look at Wisconsin during signing day, I always want to be like, oh, this class is probably trash. Look at them. They have no talent. But you know that every single one of those kids that they signed fit a need for them. And in two years, they're going to be badass meat hogs just busting ass in the Big Ten West. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at Wisconsin's class right now. I, I don't think I could name a single one of their players just off the top of my head in this class, but I do see in the, the state breakdown that they've got two kids from Ohio. Um, both of those kids are going to absolutely destroy Ohio State for the next four seasons. That is the law. You can't even tell me. I'm looking at it right now. Boyd Dietzen. That's not a real person. No. That doesn't exist. That's an invention. 
<laughs> Barry Alvarez made that person in a lab. Yeah, that, that's a lab that Wisconsin has somewhere in Eastern Europe where they just breed <laughs> offensive linemen and strong side defensive ends. But an hour into this, this is what you can expect from this podcast with Patrick and I talking Wisconsin's recruiting class. But probably a good place for us to wrap up here. If you want to reach either of us on Twitter, you can tweet Patrick at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. You could send me a tweet at Dubsco. I don't think you want to follow either one of us, but what you should do is follow the site at LandGrant33, and even more so, follow the show. We are now on Twitter at HolyLandPod. It's simple. It's easy. Send us questions, comments, what you think about the podcast. We'll always answer your guys' stuff. We want to have some involvement with the show here. So at HolyLandPod, send us a tweet. Give us a follow, and then follow along with the show at soundcloud.com slash landgrantholyland, and also subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts by searching Hangout in the Holy Land. Buddy, that, that is, that's a mouthful, and we're an hour in. I feel like we gave people all the content they could want about signing day, about Ohio State's huge victory over Purdue in basketball. Uh, you got anything else? Mm, I, I don't think I have anything else. We gave the people the content that they crave, and I have got an extremely good tweet all loaded up and ready to fire when we get off this thing. So uh, even more great content coming the people's way. Well, until the next time we can give you guys some more audio content, that's going to wrap up today's show. Thanks once again for listening and for Patrick Mayhorn. I'm Colton Denning. This has been the Hangout in the Holy Land, and go Bucks. <laughs>